When Jesus says in our gospel reading today, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I really cannot think of a better verse in all of Holy Scripture that better summarizes the whole Christian life of both justification, our salvation before God in heaven, and sanctification, our growth in good works. Jesus here is explaining how these two things fit together. They are not opposed to one another, but instead they go together like two puzzle pieces meant to be together. It is a common mistake in Christian theology nowadays, and I think really has been throughout history, to try and pair these things against each other. To try and take one part of what Jesus says and ignore the other part. To either take the fact that the law is not abolished, or to take the fact that Christ has fulfilled the law and then to ignore the other part. To take one line and ignore the other. And there are basically two groups that we could boil this down to, and it has taken different forms. They have taken different forms throughout history, but two groups of good-meaning Christians who have gotten this all confused, who have tried to pair justification and sanctification, salvation, good works, against each other. One group we could call legalist. That would be kind of the technical term. And those are the ones who know the first line, that the law is not abolished. They are correct in wanting to do good works. They are correct in wanting to try and live a good, moral, Christian life. The law is not abolished. But then they forget the part that Christ has fulfilled the law. And so legalists will always try, and this is the problem, they will always try to work their way into heaven. And they will do that in kind of the pharisaical way of finding ways in which they can convince themselves that they have done it, that they have been a good enough person. They will think things like, if I'm a good enough person, or if you're a good enough person, if you're a good law-abiding person, you've never outrightly murdered someone, and you haven't gotten drunk, at least not too often, if you're just a generally good person, then God will recognize that, and he will let you into heaven one day. They will make up laws for themselves, like the Pharisees did. Make up laws for themselves that are able to be fulfilled. A common form of legalism in our modern evangelical American landscape is goes something it goes something like this that you must feel God enough in your heart. That's one of the laws you have to fulfill. You have to feel him enough in your heart. And then once you feel him enough in your heart, then you can say a sinner's prayer. You can find it in the back of a Joyce Meyer book if you want to know what one looks like. Although, don't buy the book. Just go to the bookstore and open up to the back and then don't give them any money. But you can look and see what it looks like. You have to say the sinner's prayer and then you must be baptized. But not according to the simple institution of Christ. For baptism, you must be baptized in the right way. You must be immersed. And then once you've felt God enough in your heart, once you've said the right prayer, and once you've been baptized in this specific way, then you can truly be saved. Even though baptism is just a symbol to people who tend to believe those things, why are they so particular about it? It's because it's legalism. And what legalism wants to do is find particular details 
that people can fulfill so that they can be saved. Because it's legalism, and legalism focuses on narrow particulars. The other group is the opposite. The other group is what we would technically call antinomians. It's a 10-cent word you can take home and use today. Antinomians. Antinomians literally means anti-law. Namos in Greek is law, anti-law. And they're the people who are also well-meaning Christians who want to recognize the abundant grace of God, who want to recognize that second line that Christ says that he has come to fulfill the law. But they forget the first part that it's not abolished. They want the law to be completely fulfilled and therefore abolished. They don't want anything to do with the law. The antinomian, I think, is actually probably more and more common in the modern American Christian landscape. I think legalism is kind of waning in its heyday, at least in our place and time in history. And antinomianism is actually what's gaining more traction. Antinomians are the ones who will say things like that there are no rules now. You can kind of live however you want. Because God's grace is so abundant. You can continue in sin that grace may abound. Antinomians are the ones who will say things like, if you want women pastors, you can have women pastors. After all, we're all broken people just trying to get through living under God's grace in this life. The antinomian is the one who will say, it's okay to get drunk now and then. Because God's grace will abound. He'll forgive your sin. Don't even worry about it. It's not a problem. The antinomian is the one who will say, you can watch whatever R-rated Christian movie, or or not Christian movie, you can watch, as a Christian, you can watch whatever R-rated film you want, or whatever vulgar TV show you want to watch. God doesn't really care what morals you teach yourself. He just wants everyone to be happy, and he wants to love them. Love wins, doesn't it? That's another book you should not buy at the Christian bookstore. Love wins. The antinomian jives much more, I think, with our culture of licentiousness and debauchery and hedonism. And so you have these two schools of thought. One says the law is not abolished and we must try and fulfill it, therefore. One says Christ has fulfilled the law and therefore the law God's morals can't have anything to do with us. And both of these are half-truths. And half-truths are lies of the devil. That's how the devil always lies. The devil always lies by giving you an aspect of the truth, corrupting it with something else. But there is a third way. There's a third option, the true option, and that is the way of Christ. Both these things in tandem together. I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law. In other words, for the Christian, the law is not abolished. The law is still good. The precepts of the Lord are right. The just decrees of the Lord are good, Psalm 19 says. The Ten Commandments, which we read from Exodus 20, they still show us something worth showing. They still show you where you have sinned in your life and where you need to repent. And especially as a Christian, they show you a guide. They show you a way to live, a way to live under Christ. They are still good for those good and godly purposes. However, 
while they are still good for those good and godly purposes, we are not finally under, and this is the way that it ties together, this is the hook that ties everything together, we are not under the condemnation of the law. While the law is good and it shows us our sins and it shows us the way we should strive to live, we are not under its condemnation. It does not condemn us anymore to hell. On the final day, when God comes to judge the living and the dead, he will not judge you on the basis of the law. If he were to, you would not make it. We'll talk about that more in a moment. We're all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But God does not judge based on the law. He judges based on the law fulfilled in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when you have faith in that blood, faith in the one who has come to fulfill the law, then he will judge you righteous. And so that doesn't mean then that you get to do whatever you want. You don't fall into antinomianism. The law is still good. It still shows you a way to live. You have a new life in Christ. Paul says, consider yourselves now dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. It's actually not that complicated. These things are both true. They are not opposed to one another. The law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ, not in our works, but good works are still good. These things are not opposed to each other. And that's all in verse 17. It's a pretty amazing verse. It really destroys both the legalists and the antinomians. And it gives the true way. I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. But Jesus expands on this throughout this gospel reading. And it's pretty brilliant what he does. He continues to fine-tune this, continues to teach you what this means in your life. And at first he says things that sound kind of legalistic. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a yoda, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. He says every little bit of the law must be fulfilled. When he says Yoda, that's referring to the Hebrew letter Yod, which is the smallest Hebrew letter. It looks like a little tiny upside down L, if I could draw it for you. It's the smallest Hebrew letter. And when he says dot, he's referring to um, accent marks in Hebrew or Greek letters. It's like if you put a little accent mark above the E in fiance, he's saying that little accent mark, that little Yod, every single bit of the law and the prophets, every single dot, it must be fulfilled. And that sounds a little pharisaical, right? It sounds a little legalistic, right? Because Pharisees and legalists, they're the ones who want to focus on narrow particulars. That's what we said, the narrow details of the law. So is he teaching legalism now? No, first we must remember who the one is who's speaking these words. It's Jesus. Who's going to accomplish Every single dot, every single Yoda of the law, it's Jesus. I have come to fulfill the law. And Jesus is the only one who can accomplish the law. No human being, especially when he frames it like this, no human being is capable of fulfilling every dot and Yoda of God's law. The scriptures are clear. We have fallen. Not one of us is righteous. No, not one. In Adam, all mankind fell. As the hymn said, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. 
And he really pushes that home in just a minute. We'll get to that in a moment. But second, also notice the next thing Jesus says here. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And that lets us in on a little secret about legalism. Legalism pretends to be this strict keeping of the law. Pharisees pretend to be the ones who have the most expansive and the best keeping of God's law. But in fact, Pharisaism is actually a lessening of God's law. Remember what we said about legalism, about Pharisaism earlier? It does focus on narrow particulars, but it picks and chooses. It picks and chooses what laws it wants to follow so that you're actually able to accomplish it. The Pharisees picked and choose certain laws, say, about the Sabbath that they felt like they could do so that they could point out, oh, yeah, you're not doing that. I'm doing that. I must really be the true Israelite. Pharisaism picks and chooses. Legalism picks and chooses which laws it thinks it can accomplish. When Jesus says every dot, every yoda, he's saying the Pharisees, they're not really good at keeping God's law because they've lessened it. They've taken out dots and yodas. They've taken out pieces here and there. They've taken out the law of love, which exceeds all. And so the modern Pharisee or legalist, you can kind of see how they would think. The modern Pharisee or legalist, they're not going to focus on rituals like the old Pharisees did. But the modern Pharisee is going to focus on things, pick and choose things that he thinks he can accomplish. The modern Pharisee or legalist is going to think things like this. Well, I don't need to go to church today because I've already done my one Sunday a month or my two Sundays a month. I don't need to strive to give 10% because I've put my 20 in the plate enough times. The church knows I care. I don't need to have an active life of faith and repentance because I was confirmed when I was 14 or when I was 22 or whenever I was confirmed. I went through the book. I did the thing. And it's all good. Legalism actually lessens the law. It actually picks and chooses laws so that it makes it able to be accomplished. But it's not really accomplishing it at all because it's taking out all the dots, taking out all the yodas. Jesus goes on to show really how wrong that train of thinking is. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. What Jesus is doing here when he brings up this idea of connecting anger to the fifth commandment of murder, what he's doing is he's broadening the law. It's the same thing he's doing when he brings up the dot and Yoda. He's saying the law is broad and wide. Later on in his ministry, he will summarize the law. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law. While it is short and sweet, that does not mean it is also not broad and wide and deep. What is included in love? Well, a whole lot, actually. That's why, similar to what Jesus does here in Luther's small catechism, when he teaches on the Ten Commandments, he will do the same thing. He'll broaden the law. He'll say, what, is, what does it mean 
to not have any other gods. Well, it's not as simple as simply not being Muslim or something like that. A lot of people can can fulfill that. A lot of people could identify as a Christian and say, oh, first commandment. My God is the Christian God. I fulfilled it. Check. Check the box. No, the first commandment is to not fear, love, or trust in anything above God. And what is fear and love and trust? Do people fear physical death more than they fear God's wrath? Do people trust in money more than they trust in the God who provides? There's a lot more to love than simply checking boxes. And that can go on and on and on. What does it mean to not commit adultery? Does it just mean not to defile the marriage bed? No, Luther, in his small catechism, he talks about purity and decency and self-control. When Jesus talks about murder, he talks about not just murder, but anger and hatred in the heart and the attitude of the heart. And when you start to think about what does love require? What does love of God, what does love of my neighbor, what does it require? It requires more than I could ever do. Every dot, every yoda, every bit of love that could possibly be done. That is what is required in the law. When you think of it that way, it becomes very, very clear that none of you, and not me, not anyone, could fulfill such a deep, broad law. We have not done it. We will not do it. We cannot do it. And so, what does Christ then encourage us to do? And this is kind of the best part. I love this. After Jesus has completely broken them down, after he's made them feel so small, after he's taken them to the gates of hell, after he has said, you're a poor, miserable sinner, you can't do any of this, he says, but go ahead and try anyway. So, Jesus says, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now as a quick aside, this offering your gift at the altar, just by way of explanation, this is, he's still speaking in kind of Old Testament sacrifice terms, but this is clearly the New Testament equivalent of the Lord's Supper, offering the sacrifice at the altar. They offered daily sacrifices at the altar in the Old Testament. Now, there has been a sacrifice offered once for all, the body and blood of Jesus on the cross, and that is given to us weekly at this altar in the New Testament church. And so to offer your gift at the altar is to, as we'll sing in Psalm 116, take the cup of salvation, to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and take the cup of salvation from the Lord. And so this is about, I think, receiving communion rightly. That we should be in fellowship with one another. We should be reconciled with one another before we come to the altar. But back to what we're talking about today. Despite our not being able to fulfill the law. Despite our inability to keep God's law, every yoda, every dot. Jesus just says, try. Don't be angry. Go ahead and reconcile. When you see that you have not kept the law, go ahead and try anyway. I encourage you to try. 
And that, again, can sound a little legalistic, but I think everything hangs on this one word in verse 23, so. So. And that so recalls to mind everything that we've he's taught so far. It recalls to mind that we are neither legalists or antinomians. So, his encouragement to you in living out the law is based on everything he said here. Jesus is not a legalist, so you don't need to worry about the condemnation of the law. He has fulfilled it all. So there's no harm in trying to fulfill it. You will not be condemned when you fail, and it is good for you to do so. Second, Jesus is not an antinomian. He did not come to abolish the law, and so you should go ahead and strive to live according to it to the best of your ability. You should try and grow in grace and in good works. You died in your baptism, and now you live a new life hidden in Christ, and so live that way. You have a new life to live, and that's good. The law is good. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The just decrees of the Lord are good and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. And so live like that. Live as if you know that God's law is good. Live as if you know that God has fulfilled it, and so even when you fail to keep it, you will be forgiven. Do not fall for the traps of either legalism or antinomianism. Do not find ways to try and check boxes to lessen the law, to make it to you where you can earn your way into heaven. Christ has already done it for you, rejoiced in his gift of salvation, but also don't think that because Christ has won it for you, that you should not desire to keep his law and try and reconcile with your brothers and try and be in fellowship with one another to the best of your ability. You are a baptized Christian, so live that way. Both these things are true. You are a baptized Christian living a life hidden in Christ who did not come to abolish the law, but he has fulfilled it for you. So be who you are, and to him be all the honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.